Amen. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look a few verses tonight. Well, obviously, my mind has been all things Paul recently. Uh, I knew that I was leaving uh, with a group, and of course, a pretty large group of folks. Uh, we have now 72. I know Miss Rosie's not going to be able to go with us, but... 72 heading out uh, Tuesday. So I've been reading different uh, takes on Paul's life. I've been reading some of his letters. I've been reading, obviously, the book of Acts. You've been reading the book of Acts? Uh, One way or the other, you've had to read it almost, right? Uh, So I've been thinking so much about Paul and looking at, at his life and you know, in so many ways, he's noted. He's noted as the apostle. Sometimes they call him the apostle. Sometimes he will be referred to as the missionary. Because in so many ways, as I said this morning, he was the greatest missionary outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that ever set foot on this earth. I think hands down he was. So we see him as the missionary. Look at Colossians, look at Romans, look at some of the others. You see him as a theologian. And wow, he can dig into it, can he? Sometimes you can read Paul's words, especially like we did there in Colossians chapter 1 when we just um, marveled over his rich description of Christ and who Christ was. I mean, there is no doubt he's like the theologian when you read through that. So you think of him that way. When I was at seminary, I had a class where it talked about Paul the preacher. Talked about how we were to preach like Paul. And they took his letters, which they believed were like uh, snippets or examples of his sermons. So we would preach like Paul. So he was like the preacher. So you have all these different descriptions, these different roles of Paul. But tonight I want to talk to you about one that maybe... We don't assign to him as much as we should, and that is the pastor. Because in so many ways, Paul is the pastor, and he has a pastoral heart. And he'll pastor certain areas. He'll be with Corinth for like 18 months. He'll have his longest stay in Ephesus for three years, right? So, hey, that's one area where I've already beaten Paul, all right? In my tenure. I got a little longer tenures, seem like, than that. But in any case, wherever he is, he has a pastoral heart. Even for the churches, look, even for the churches, he may not have gotten to witness face to face. He has some type of influence over them, and he knows he's like a pastor to them. They're looking to him. They want to hear from him. They want to see his words. They want to be directed and guided. They want to be cared for. So tonight when we read these first few verses of chapter 2, I want you to hear Paul, the pastor. I want you to hear his heart. And I want you to see his challenge. I want you, hopefully, to understand him better. But also, I want you to go away from here tonight encouraged and motivated to follow the Lord's teaching And to follow the Lord's work. So look, if you will, again, Colossians chapter 2. Paul writing, he says, 
for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul writes to this church, and I think it is a church that he's not personally met. Epaphras has been the one that got this church going. Now, I believe it was established uh, thanks to Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which would not be too far away, and, and that Epaphras had gotten the church going, and Epaphras had come and talked to him about how the church was doing and was sharing those things. I, I can't imagine what those conversations must have been like. I mean, I've served as a pastor for a while, and now I've served some different churches. And every now and then, I'll get to sit down with some people, and, you know, they'll get to tell me, like, this is what's going on in the church now. This is how the church is doing, and this is what's occurring in the church, and this is how we're doing this, and how we're doing that. And I get to sit and listen, and, and it's um, somewhat surreal because I'm not there anymore. But yet, you get, to, you get a little character of what is happening in the church because, I mean... My heart, you know this, my heart 100% is here at Temple Baptist Church because that's where I am. I felt it as soon as God called me here, as soon as the uh, committee had come and they had talked to me. Uh, and I said yes that night when I was in Nicaragua. I could feel my heart turn to Temple. Does that make sense? I've told some of the ministers even who have left us. I said, listen, don't feel bad that your heart will turn. God will turn your heart for a purpose. But even with my heart turned and being here at Temple, I still love First Zachary. I still love Pine Grove. I still love Canaan. I still love Blue Springs where I served. Those, those are parts of me still. Uh, this last um, uh, couple of weeks, I sat down and wrote my home pastor, uh, who is still there. I think I mentioned the other day. He's been there about 50 years at my home church. And I wrote him... Uh, to thank him for what he had meant in my life as I reflected on now 20 years since I've been ordained into the ministry, 25 since I was licensed to the ministry, that I just wanted him to know how much he had meant to me because my heart in so many ways is still there. I always say that I'm a product of that church for good or bad. It's like I came out of there. <laughs> and Jason, it was funny this morning, we were sitting in the connections class and there are some folks who have been uh, attending here with us uh, and they're not from uh, Mississippi. They're not from Louisiana either. But they said that they enjoy hearing my Mississippi accent every Sunday morning. <laughs> I didn't know exactly how to take it, but <laughs> I like that Mississippi accent. Don't you, Miss Vivian? I think it's a pretty good accent. But um, my, my heart is, is still has affection for those areas, obviously, because I've been there and I've served with them and, 
and I still want to see all of those churches succeed and do well for the kingdom. Uh, I root them on, I cheer them on, but certainly my heart has been here. And here's Paul. He said, I've been sitting down, obviously, I've been talking about you at Colossae, the church there, and uh, well, Epaphras has been telling me all these things, and you know what? Hear what he says. He says, in so many ways, I'm conflicted. My heart is conflicted. The Greek word there is the word from which we derive our English agony. It's the idea I'm agonizing over you. I struggle over you. It's the idea that I have a deep concern and love for you and also for those over there in Laodicea, just right down the road from you. I just, I love you. And I have a concern. As many as have not seen my face in the flesh, though you may not have seen me personally, I still love you. Hey, he does love them. And he shows his love to the different churches in different ways. I pointed this out before, but how does Paul demonstrate his love for the churches that he visited and even those that are like Colossae that he had a part maybe of sending out people that helped establish it? How would he do that? Well, he would... He would certainly visit them from time to time if he got the opportunity, and he would even go back sometimes to see them if he had the opportunity. And that was an expression of love. And he would write letters to them. Look at all these letters we have. He writes letters to them even when he's in captivity. Remember, the book of Colossians was written. This little letter was written when he's in captivity, I think, in Rome. He writes to them because he loves them. And that final expression is he prays for them. He says that in basically every letter he writes here is prayed for you. I prayed for you because he loved them. They would come to his mind. So he says, I have a conflict. I have a concern. I have a, 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 a pastoral heart for you. You know, I think being a pastor is the greatest thing that anybody could ever do. And that is no offense to the rest of you. I believe in work is worship. I believe that God calls each and every individual to their own station in life, their own ministry. You know that. But I'm just going to be honest. I get to do the thing that I enjoy. And I think I shared this last week or so. There's nothing like being able to do that in life. To do what God's called you to and to enjoy it like I do. Even through some of the challenges and difficulties and the Bill Cox of life, even through all those, it's still fun. It's still awesome that God would allow me to do the things that I do. And to be able to see uh, the church and it go through different phases, different seasons of life, to see church members go through different times. Often, I will share how... Uh, as a pastor, I get to come in at different seasons of people's lives, and I get to see them. Some of them are uh, in that energetic, just on-fire, young adult stage. Maybe they're having children. Maybe those things are happening in their life. Maybe I get to come in when, when there are those who are children. I got a little weepy uh, here a few weeks ago. I know that surprises some of you. But I got a little weepy because I realize now... In our college ministry, we have those that were in the children's ministry at First Zachary when I went there. Uh, when the first ones came, Leslie was at uh, maybe 
two years ago now or something to that effect, when they came in and I realized they were the ones that I gave the first grade Bibles to and their pictures are in my office still in there, I began to get a little weepy of seeing how they had grown and they had come to this point in their life. So you get to see people in that time of life. You get to see people. Sometimes they're in the middle-aged part of life. Some of them are more in their seasoned years. And, uh, but you get to see them. You get to experience different times. And there's nothing I would take because people allow us to come into their lives in those different seasons. Now, I love preaching. I love it. I don't know if you can tell. I hope you can. But I love it. I mean, to get paid to do what I do, that people actually sit and listen? <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. And I love it. And I love knowing that the Holy Spirit is working in my life during the preaching event. I can sense it so often that God is working. And to know that His power is there when His Word is spoken. I love all those aspects. But there's also something about being a pastor. It's different from just being a preacher. I was taught when I was younger that the three areas of a pastoral ministry was proclaim, lead, and care. That's the old Robert Dale Southern Baptist model. Proclaim, lead, and care. You preach, you lead, and you care for the people. It's like being a shepherd. And that is what we are called to be in so many different areas of our life. Some of you are Sunday school teachers and you are in the shepherding type of role as well. Or maybe you're on staff or you help with certain areas. You're a shepherd. And what God allows us to do as pastors is be shepherds. And you can have concern. You can, have, you can almost agonize. You can agonize over the relationship that you have in the good ways and even in the challenging areas. That's what you hear with Paul. Paul says, I'm concerned. I, I, I love you. I mean, that's what he's saying. He said, understand how much love I have for you as a church and how I am conflicted within with all these different thoughts, with all these different uh, senses that I have. He says, because that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I recognize within you that you are knit together in love. Because, let me go back and say this, that most churches, they have good characteristics and they have some that may not be as good characteristics. Most churches, right? If you look at report card, if you were to get report cards, and, and Jesus actually does this in Revelation, right? Like Revelation 2 through 3, there are seven churches of Asia Minor that he'll give report cards. Now, I'm going to preach through those churches on Sunday morning before long. Some of you are looking, yeah, how long you still got? You still got 21 chapters of. <laughs> Before long, we're going to get to that. We're going to look at it. And you're going to see 
where Jesus, the all-knowing one, will look at a church and he'll say, hey, I'm so proud of you for this. and I know you're doing this and it's great that you're doing that. But I have this for you. Or he might even say, I have this against you. Because he gives an evaluation. Because most of the churches, most of them, not, not all of them. There were a couple in there, a couple that get all commendations. There, are, there is one that gets no commendation. So it can be a mixed bag. But there at Colossae, he's saying, hey, you're knit together in love. I'm proud of you. you, you and, and you're trying to understand. You're having knowledge. You're trying to seek the Lord uh, in so many different ways. He said, I'm proud of you in that. I'm going to come back to verse 3 in a moment. But this is also what I want you to, to know. He said, he said, I say lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And ah, here we get to what has often been referred to as the Colossian heresy. Or the Colossian false teaching that could be there. And, and we're going to look at it more in the next few weeks as, as I get back from the trip. But it's this idea that there are those who are coming in. They're trying to present other options to the Colossian believers. They're trying to say there, there's, there's more to life than, than what you understand about Jesus. They're trying to put a lot of different things together. I think I've somewhat hinted at this already, and I would say to you that as I understand the Colossian heresy, it's like this uh, syncretistic type of eclectic understanding of things. It's like bringing a little bit of Judaism and a little bit, little bit of mystic faith and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and bringing it all together. It's hard to get your mind wrapped around the Colossian heresy, to be honest with you. I mean, trying to rightfully uh, determine it. Go read commentaries. Look, you get things from all sorts of different areas because it's hard to really nail it down that these were the Gnostics or these were the Judaizers or there were the... Basically, what they've done is they've just taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that and just brought it all together. Kind of like our culture today. And how they just bring anything and everything together in their understanding. So what Paul says is that, you know, I love you and I'm concerned for you. And, and I know you've done so many things well. And, and, and even, hey, even in... A, Let's see, verse 5, he says, rejoicing to see your good order. That doesn't mean that Paul's looked at their order of worship lately. It doesn't mean he took a glance at their bullet. And what he means is, is that you are standing, in a sense, as one. It is a military type of term. Like, you are standing together, and that's great. And you have a militant type of presence about you and you love one another and you're in a community with one another he said that's good and and i love you for that but i have a concern because there are people out there that are going to try to come and they're going to try to teach you something else and i don't want you to fall for it he says as a pastor that's the reason he's writing this letter so that they won't fall for it you see because this this is this is the part of the pastorate that we need to understand is we walk with people through times and we love people and we see uh, 
how they experience Christ in their lives. But, but we also want to make sure that they understand the truth. They understand God's word and that they are sticking to it and not to every other resource or source that's out there. Because these days, people can find anything and everything, right? Anything and everything. Uh, all they got to do is just talk to Siri or, I don't know, maybe. A, hey, by the way, did you know that even when she thinks you're talking to her, she'll come on and talk to you? Those of you in personnel committee meeting the other day when my phone kept talking back to me, I, anyway, that's something I need to move on. But I mean, you can go look for Siri and you can hear things in Alexis and all these other individuals and they can tell you all sorts of things. You can find anything and everything you want now. But there's still just one truth. And the truth is, Jesus is all you need. I mean, he said, it is through the Father in Christ that all things, uh, that in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He said, it's still right there. I, I know it may sound attractive. I know it may sound like something you might need to buy into. Just know, it's not. They're not going to give you anything more than Jesus would give you. You don't need Jesus plus, you just need Jesus. Jesus, period. That's all you need. And you'll find the truth and you'll find the treasures. Listen, God has given us his word. So he says, I want you to be on guard in a sense. Because there are going to be those who would be very persuasive. I'm not saying that we as Baptists do all things right. I'll be honest, there are times we have blown it through the years. But I am grateful we had a reputation, at least at one time, that we were a people of the book. That we always said the Bible was the authority of our faith and practice. His word. And I say that we need to still subscribe to that. And as pastors and ministers, it's very important for us to teach the truth. It's very, it's very important for us to encourage the truth, especially as we see more and more of the untruth being brought into our circles. Let me, let me say this. I always say, what's going to stop you or stop me? What's, how are you going to stop me from saying this, right? The more I've done background study on some of these cities that we're visiting and that Paul kind of took a trip to, the more I realize how much we're like them. Leslie and I were looking at it. I brought it to her and I said, yeah, read this. And see, she knows if she doesn't, I'll call her out in church. She knows, so she's like, okay, what? I'll just read this stuff. What are you doing? And just, I mean, she was, I, I, and I know she was working on my sermon for this morning when I asked her to do that. She was writing it out. She's like, one more thing that I've got to do this week. But 
she, she looked at it and, and, and she did read it, obviously, because afterwards we talked about it. it was, there's so many similarities. You and I can talk about, oh, things are getting bad. Oh, this and that. And the gospel. Look, you know how bad it was in the New Testament age? Do you realize that's the same gospel that was being preached to the same type of audience that we have today? And while we can murmur about it and complain, I see the power of God alive on these pages and I see God's word making impact among those individuals who were there. And I believe the same word can make an impact today with people. It's the same type of scenarios, the very same type of relativistic, pluralistic. If you want to look, it's very similar. And we must follow the truth and we must preach that. And as pastors and ministers, we have concern and we have a challenge before us to lead the people appropriately. Now, I do think there's an appropriate way to... To, to lead the people and to help them understand the truth so that they're not somehow drawn away by um, persuasive words. I think what we do is we preach the whole counsel of God. And I believe that we care about people and demonstrate our love for individuals when we're telling them that truth. Again, Paul the pastor. A couple of images of Paul doing that even in other places. Like at Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 2, he spoke to them and he said, uh, well, let me just read verse 1 and follow. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. In other words, notice that pastoral role. Paul said, I just spoke to you as God has spoken to us. We're not here to please everybody else. I'm not here to win a, some type of contest, a popularity. I'm here to be able to take this word and this truth and declare it to you. But... In the same chapter, he will say, We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Man, that's an intimate analogy, is it not? Paul said, I declared the truth. I didn't care. It didn't matter what everybody else said, but you know also that I cared for you. Like a mother nourishing that newborn child. I was there. Hey, what he said to the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20. That's his, again, longest tenure of being in any one place, three years. He said this to them as he was saying farewell. He said, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's the pastor's heart. 
because he says to them, you just get ready because there are going to be wolves that will come in and try to destroy the flock. But the pastor is the shepherd. And here Paul is a pastor to the Colossians. Conflicted, yes, because he loves them, he's concerned for them, but also he challenges them because he wants them to follow the Lord Jesus in every way possible. Let me just conclude, verse 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I think for most of us parents, we want to see our children exceed what we have done, especially for the kingdom. Usually, people will talk about that in career options. Often, I used to hear that mentioned when it came to maybe education or vocation. They wanted their kids to achieve greater than them in those areas. But you know what? Lord really challenged me some years ago. In the sense of, I pray that my children far exceed me in the kingdom work. Far exceed. And I think for Paul, as great as we think he is, and he was, I think Paul's heart in, as a pastor was, he hoped the church at Colossae would walk worthy of Christ, would do more than he could ever do on his own. He had a heart, he had a hope that they would far exceed him in ministry and what could be done. He says, just as Christ walked, you walk, you keep going, you keep walking, you keep following him, living rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in with thanksgiving. He said, because it's all about Christ. You're rooted in him, you're built up in him, you're walking as he walked. It's all about him. I love that about his example. See, I think that it is inappropriate for any church to become solely dependent upon the pastor or the ministerial staff or anybody else. I think it's totally inappropriate for the church to be just synonymous with the pastor. If it becomes that, I'm afraid that the church has lost its true vision and certainly its true walk. Because the church should never be about a preacher or a pastor. Never. Oh, I was thinking about putting my picture on that bus out there. But I wanted to make sure it made it to Houston Tuesday morning before I did. <laughs> the face of Temple Baptist Church should not be Reggie Bridges. It should not be the staff. It should not be the deacons. It should not be any individuals here. The face of Temple Baptist Church should be the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he says. Paul wasn't saying, exalt me. Paul was saying, exalt Christ. Follow him. I love you. 
I'm concerned for you. I want to challenge you. But it's Christ who you serve and find your identity. May we hear that tonight. And may we follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Lord, you've given us a blessed day to be together as a community of believers. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are committed to you. God, I pray that when you look at us as a church, that you would find things that you could commend us for, that you would delight in. And God, in those areas that do not line up exactly where we should be, Father, I pray you convict us that we deal with you and, Lord, repent of our sin in that area and follow you. But God, tonight, one of the things that we really pray right now for is that we would be knit together in love, that we would find all knowledge and wisdom in your Son and in you. Father, that we would be rooted and built up in your Son's work and that we would walk as he has walked. God, truly let the face of this church be the radiant, glorious countenance of your Son. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?